morning. Hopefully you're up and ready for another new day today. And uh, we're, uh, I'm looking at some different things, trying to get something pulled up that I can't quite find just exactly what I want, but that's okay. We're going to use what I have. And uh, I think it will, it will suffice just fine. And uh, you'll see in a little bit what I'm talking about here something I want to share with you, and uh, let's see if how this does, not as clear, well, it's going to have to suffice, I guess, so anyway, hey, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 13, and uh, not 13, chapter 16, sorry, and 
too much multitasking. I'm a man, you know, and men don't multitask as good as women. In fact, there are studies about multitasking, and most people don't multitask as good as they think they do. I'm going to say it right now. I don't think that I do. So, um, but we're picking up in Acts chapter 16, verse 11, and Paul and uh, Timothy, Silas, uh, traveling together, uh, and we were looking yesterday at, at the part of the world that they were in and how they were going to be going to, um, they received this Macedonian call uh, that would take them over to uh, another part of the world, uh, really into what would now be Southern Europe. Here's a map that you can see. I mean, Jerusalem is in your far uh, lower right corner, and then Corinth uh, is oh, just a little bit offset from the center of the page, and then to the top left you see Rome. That kind of gives you a sense of travel. And so they were in Ephesus. Troas uh, is a little bit north of Ephesus in what would today be modern-day Turkey. Uh, and then we'd see them going up to uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, but also uh, in those regions uh, is Samathras, Samathras uh, and uh, Neapolis, a couple other places. But uh, from there, we travel to Philippi. So just the, the direction they're going in their travels. Uh, I'll put something else up for you here um, that you can take a look at. Uh, this is not the clearest image, uh, but I will. It's not giving me what I want. Oh, well, I guess I'm not going to worry about it this morning. So, but you get the idea where they're traveling from, where they're traveling to, uh, that part of the world, uh, Macedonia, which is also now modern Greece, um, a place into which they're traveling and bringing the gospel. So let me let me pick up at verse 11. That's where we left off yesterday. And so here we go. It says, from Troas, uh, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day on to Neapolis. Now there is uh, some mainland Samothrace, but then there are also some islands, Samothrace, some Samothrace island areas, and uh, they have gone to an island from there to Neapolis. From there, it says they traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Now, one of the things I want to highlight in this section, in just that that uh, verse alone, why did Paul pick a leading city? Paul moved strategically. And friends, we, we need to learn to think strategically. Now, uh, man may make his plans, but the Lord will determine his steps. Paul had made a plan, uh, and uh, the Lord redirected the plan a different direction. So Paul kind of recalibrates, says, okay, if we're going to go there, where's the most important place we can go? A lot of times we don't think about strategy and strategic moves. Uh, and what is best for the kingdom. And so Paul didn't say, hey, I want to go to 
uh, a small town over there in, in what we now call Greece in, in Macedonia. Uh, take me to the leading city. I wanted to go to leading city because I believe I'll have the biggest impact there. There are more people there. And it's not that the small towns are unimportant. Not at all. Not, not even remotely is it that small towns are unimportant. However, um, go to where the populace is. Uh, go to the people who you will impact, who will take the gospel even further. And so that was Paul's strategy. And, and I would encourage us to think strategically. Uh, I, I tend to be aligned a little bit more to think about strategy, uh, strategic moves, what's best for the kingdom, uh, and um, what, what will expand the gospel the most, uh, what will uh, expand the kingdom the most, uh, and that, that factors very much into my thinking. And now I also want to say that sometimes I think, hey, if we can reach, I mean, there, there's there's another another view on this. Sometimes we think if we can reach some star or some big wig or something like that, that that's the best thing we can do. But sometimes even then, God will choose somebody that seems to be less consequential um, in a circumstance, maybe even less well-known, uh, maybe even not thought of as in the best of ways, and get a hold of their life and do something far more significant through their life than sometimes he does through somebody who has power and prestige. Uh, just go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It talks about sometimes what God chooses. So even then, uh, Paul uh, may have had his thoughts about who he was going to reach in the area of Philippi, and even then God had uh, uh, a different plan, and we will see that as we work our way down through this text here. Uh, on the Sabbath, we went, verse 13, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Uh, often people would go out to places uh, of quiet like this, more serene um, maybe away from some of the hubbub, and it's Sabbath, they're not going out to wash clothes, they're not going out to wash dishes, they're not going out, they're going out for quiet, and people would often go out to rivers, uh, and even Jesus would do this, go out to rivers, find a place to sit, park, um, and pray. It says, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now again, Here's Paul practicing something that in culture was not uh, as acceptable in that day to just sit down, plop down next to some women and start talking with them. I mean, uh, even up into more modern days, we've seen men separated into one corner and women separated into another corner. That's a holdover from, from, from way distant history. Jesus had a different practice. Paul had a different practice. The, the integration of men and women together in ministry, sharing and partnering together. And again, some of you are absolutely incredible partners in the ministry. And uh, uh, in many ways, some of you were influential. Some of you are um, hospitable. Some of you are very gracious in, in, your, uh, in your support. 
uh, in, in a variety of ways, prayerful support, financial support, and whatnot. Uh, and just I want you to know that you would be commended right along with, with names that, that Paul lists, like at the end of the book of Romans, chapter, chapter 16. I mean, he lists several women there. Uh, who were prominent in the ministry and who were faithful partners. And so uh, what I'm trying to say is that that, that Paul and Jesus, and Jesus, uh, Paul following Jesus' model, uh, went into a, a whole different mode in the treatment of women here. And, and I think it is marvelous, actually, and something for us to consider in our day. Uh, about the place of women at the table, the place of uh, the place of women in, uh, in the support of of the ministry, uh, speaking into ministry, those types of things. So, looking at this, um, we'll continue on. Verse thirteen, speaking to the women who had gathered there, one of those listening is a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper worshiper of God. I mean, doesn't necessarily say she was Jewish, but she was practicing the worship of God. She had a spiritual hunger. She had a spiritual uh, interest. She was a businesswoman. It says she was a, a dealer in purple cloth. So, I mean, here she's an industrious woman. She's a businesswoman. Uh, the scriptures don't deride at all the fact that she's a businesswoman. Uh and the fact is she has spiritual interest. And it says of her, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, which was the gospel. When she and the members of her household were baptized, immediately baptized, she invited us. Now, we see Luke including himself here in this. Luke, the doctor, the Luke, the one who is writing the account, now traveling with Paul, it says, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. I mean, we see the hospitality here. She said, if you consider me a believer, almost if you consider me worthy, come to my house. So uh, the hospitality, the belief, the faith, the open, uh, opening up of her home, all of these things, and... Um, so what happened? Paul and his entourage went there. Let's continue on. This moves to a whole new scene now. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, which must have been that place by the river, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now, I just I want to point out something here. Just because somebody can foretell the future doesn't necessarily mean that such things are from the Lord. Because um, it says here she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. It was fortune telling. And notice it said who had a spirit. It doesn't say it was the Holy Spirit. Uh, it says that... Uh, Rather, um, it was by a spirit. Let me click over here. I'm just noticing that uh, this didn't change as it should have. Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to get a different desktop up here because... It's not following along. I've had a little, a few little quirks this morning with, with the program. Let me keep going. 
and I will share with you. It says this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servant of the most high God uh, who are telling you the way to be saved. Even though it was uh, an evil spirit, most likely it was creating problems for Paul. Um, it was still speaking the truth. It was bound to to speak the truth of who Jesus is uh, and about the, the gospel message that was being uh, being communicated. So let me see if I'm picking up the right. No, close. Sorry, you're listening to me. Have to think here a little bit about uh, trying to get my uh, desktop screen back up where it needs to be. I think I have it now. There we go. This is better. So uh, she's shouting these things. She's creating a disturbance. Verse uh, 18, she kept up. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. I mean, it. it this shows us it was an evil spirit. Just because somebody is, is even speaking the truth, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean there. it's truth prompted by the Holy Spirit. We see here in this passage that this truth that she is proclaiming in a disruptive way is truth that is being uh, promoted by an evil spirit. And so um, Paul cast out this evil spirit. And uh, a lesson for us here in verse 18 is our ability over evil spirits. And notice he doesn't. He just says, in the name of Jesus Christ, our merit in dealing with evil spirits, friends, is is not our own capacities. It is not our own capabilities. Uh, it, it is not because we are God's children uh, or anything. Our only merit in dealing with the wickedness in this world uh, is the name of Jesus Christ, his merit, his power. We, we, we have no personal power over evil spirits. In fact, I can tell you, and in fact, there are places in Scripture that indicate, we'll find them here in the book of Acts during our study, that when we try to take on evil spirits in our own strength, they can, they can show up and spank us terribly. They are quite strong, and... Uh, uh, we have a larger man in our church that tells about, big tall man, that tells about uh, a situation he was involved in where this young girl was thrashing around several several men, larger men, tall men, you know, men 6'2", six 6'3", six just throwing them around because she was possessed of an evil spirit. Yes, yes, we do have power in the name of Jesus to command evil spirits. And we should do that. That should be our practice to tell Satan to get behind us, uh, to tell Satan to leave us alone, 
Now, there's some who say we have not the power to do this. Well, I, I want to disagree. But however, I think we must also, as the Apostle Paul will go on later and say, we must realize that we're dealing in a powerful spiritual realm uh, and, and should not um, uh, take such accounts lightly, such experiences lightly, uh, and, and uh speak abusively at these evil spirits because they might even uh, thrash at us all the harder. We must have wisdom. But the evil spirit left her. Now, let let me keep going down through this passage because I want us to to see what happens here. Uh, It says, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, it's all about money. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. I mean, they're fabricating their story because they lost profits. Verse 22 says, the crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, we read this with just such uh, two-dimensional, with such a two-dimensional view. But when you get three three D on this and understand, they were flogged. Friends, you understand flogging is the same encounter that the Lord Jesus Christ had being flogged, uh, beaten. Now, it doesn't necessarily say they were beaten with the cat of nine tails, but they were beaten severely. Perhaps their flesh was was uh, bloodied. Uh, perhaps it was torn. We don't know if it was cat of nine tails or with, with flogged with clubs, but they were beaten severely. For the name of Jesus Christ, sometimes that is where things will land. And for some of us, we have friends in other places of the world that they live out their Christian faith in light of the possibility, perhaps even the probability, of such severe persecution. Now, notice what it says. Uh, They were placed in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, friends, these were not the hymns you're going to find in your hymnal, okay? I just, just want to say that for those that uh, might not be able to think back about the fact that some of the hymns, most of the hymns that we have in our hymnal were not available in Paul's day. They hadn't been written yet. So uh, uncloud your thinking and, and just understand that. It says, Others, uh, other prisoners were listening to them. They had a witness. They had a witness in prayer. They had a witness in singing the hymns that they were singing. And then it goes on and says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose, not just Paul and Silas. It says the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps 
he had heard uh, their preaching, uh, at least had heard about them, perhaps had heard about their message. Uh, he is wanting salvation now. I mean, he's a jailer. He's sitting there guarding the jail. He's listening to what they've had to say. Perhaps through the through the prison gates and the prison doors, he is uh, reaching out, and, and uh, Paul is reaching out, Silas is reaching out, and trying to convince the jailer to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he asked the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Some, every once in a while we'll have an, an occurrence, uh, an occasion where someone will come right out and ask that question. He replies, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, this brings up another interesting question. Uh, earlier, Peter had said, repent and be baptized back in chapter 2. Here, Paul is saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just like a, a vague belief, but a, a belief that says, I surrender to you, a genuine belief, a saving belief, a saving faith. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your entire household. The household aspect, what about this? Does it mean that because they, because the jailer believed, everybody is instantaneously believed? I mean, uh, instantaneously saved, but because of his belief, he is going to bring his household under under the influence of the gospel, and because of him bringing their household under the influence of the gospel, there is the likelihood that, their, that his entire household would also believe the message and be saved. This is not a promise that just because one person in the household believes, all will be saved. But because of the influence of the gospel in that that person who is genuinely following after Jesus Christ, there is a stronger likelihood, especially in that day, that the whole rest of the household will believe. Now let's continue on. They, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in, in his house. Uh, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. I mean, all of them. Look at the immediacy of uh, of belief here. It says the jail brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. Now, friends, you need to understand, this jailer is doing what he's doing at the risk of his own life. Because when it is found out that these prisoners had escaped and that he himself had taken them to his own home, that he cleaned their wounds, that he fed them, I mean, there is every possibility that he himself would be executed because of that, uh, and um, but nonetheless, there is great joy uh, in the household. Verse 34 says, the jailer brought them to his house, set a meal before them, filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now let's pick up and see what it says. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. So apparently they went back to the jail. I mean, either the either the, the jailer brought his family to the jail uh, and cleaned the wounds and brought them food, uh, or um, he took them out of the jail. The fact that they went and were baptized immediately tends to make me think, well, they left the jail and went back to the jail, uh, and um, we see the conclusion of the matter here. The magistrates call, and when, when they call for, for Paul and for 
uh, Silas to be brought, uh, they're there. Uh, And the order, interestingly, that is given in verse 35, when the magistrates sent, they sent the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered you and Silas to be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly and without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. Paul knew his rights. He knew that as a Roman citizen, he had been... uh, uh, entitled to a trial before a beating, and he didn't get the trial. And so now he's saying, I'm a Roman citizen. You threw us into prison. You did what was unlawful, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come for themselves and escort us out. The officers officers reported this to magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with their brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. So, I mean, they they took to heart uh, what uh, what was told them. They left the city, but they continued a ministry of encouragement. They continued a ministry of uh, strengthening the brothers. Uh, it, it is likely that these magistrates maybe gave money or gave food or gave supplies to Paul and Silas. Uh, As they were leaving the place, God worked on their behalf. They had to go through something incredibly difficult, but uh, in going through uh, something incredibly difficult, God did something marvelous on their behalf. Friends, sometimes we're going to have to go through difficulties. Sometimes we're going to have to go through perplexing things, but we need to trust in God that God is going to show up and do something truly marvelous if we will stay faithful to him, trusting in him. So, um, and, and these types of things go to other places. I know one of the comments over in the comment section, this is Priscilla saying, a week after I was in Cuba, a group of women trying to attend a church gathering were beaten by the authorities. People witnessing this were made to join in the beating uh, or were beaten themselves. I mean, these things happen in our world. I don't know what stories Regala could tell about uh, uh, what happens there in India or if... Uh, Santhus were here, what he would tell, uh, or even if there are stories from the Philippines that we might hear, but there or Africa, there are places in our world. I go to Voice of the Martyrs, vom.com, and you can read about all kinds of contemporary persecution that is happening in our world that we don't, you know, and, and we get we get wigged out of we don't like something that somebody brings to the potluck. Uh, speaking of potlucks, we're, we're having one of those this weekend uh, following the service potluck and prayer time. I encourage you to join us at Veracity Chapel. I do not believe that's something that will be broadcast. It's, 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 it's a live in person, you know, it's a meal, that type of thing. Um, so after the worship service on Sunday, there will be this potluck. So friends, we're at the end of the time. We've made it through chapter 16. Uh, the call to continue to trust the Lord, to look to the Lord, to believe in the Lord um, for what he can do on our behalf. I want to encourage you to keep walking with him, to keep trusting in him, Uh, whether bad things, difficult things happen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Lord, 
hear our prayer for ourselves in that regard, and hear our prayer on behalf of our brothers and sisters in other places of the world, uh, like Regala, like uh, Santhus uh, over in India. Lord, meet their very real needs uh, medically uh, for daily provisions. Lord, meet their needs is our prayer. And for all of us, Lord, cause us to live in your joy, in your strength, in your power, and in your peace today that we might bring you pleasure in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, hear our prayer. Have a great day, everyone.